This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. There are major developments south of the border in the race for the Democratic nomination. This morning, billionaire Mike Bloomberg dropped out of the race following a disappointing showing in yesterday's Super Tuesday vote. Former Vice President Joe Biden won taking nine states. And Bernie Sanders is running second with four states, including delegate-rich California. The state of Maine has not even been called yet. But these results are certainly solidifying the race as a contest between moderates and the left wing, between revolution and evolution. What do you make of this watching it here from Canada? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Right now, let's go to Dr. Chris Cooper, political science professor at Western Carolina University, and Dr. Gary Nordlinger, adjunct professor at the Graduate School of Political Management at George Washington University. Thank you both for joining us. Welcome. Great to be with you. Okay, let's start with Dr. Cooper. Uh, Joe Biden has had like a major resurrection here. What does it mean for the race? I think it means uh, kind of what you outlined at the outset. We now have a two-person race. There was some question as to whether that would be the case. I think it's important to remember, though, that we're talking about a resurrection because we started with Iowa New Hampshire and Nevada, not exactly the most demographically diverse states in the country. So I think if different states had gone first, instead of a resurrection, we might be talking about kind of a continued trajectory. Uh, There was also the factor, Dr. Nordlinger, that uh, Joe Biden was kind of uh, uh, stepping over his words and not seeming very with it for a while. Listen, Joe Biden has had foot and mouth disease his entire career. Uh, But His last two debate performances, he was so much more improved. He had fire in his belly. He answered the questions in complete, concise sentences. So, you know, what we see from Biden when he stumbles over his tongue is the same Joe Biden that's been around since he first came into the Senate in the 1970s. Okay, I guess that's nothing new then. Uh, Now, Given this contest between left and right, was was there anything of, I mean, I've heard it described as a flight to safety or uh, an anybody but Bernie movement. Uh, is this uh, flight to safety the right way to describe it? Are, are Democrats afraid no. of Sanders? If you look at all the results going back to Iowa, if you add up the total number of votes cast to the moderate connect candidates, compared with the votes cast for Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, the moderates have been in the majority. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the big question for Sanders is he just seems plateaued at 30%. Is there any ability for him to to expand his appeal? There's still 62% of the delegates left to be selected. Yes. Well, I, Go yeah, ahead. I, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, Sanders does seem to have kind of a a lower ceiling than some of these other candidates 
do. And I also think this is an example of the process kind of working the way it's supposed to, right? We have this sequential primary system, so we have states that go in order. And the idea is that slowly we go from a big field down to a smaller, more manageable field. And that's exactly what's happened. And clearly the folks that have dropped out, including Mike Bloomberg today, have gotten on the Biden uh, bandwagon. Okay. Um, the other thing, the way a lot of people describe Sanders is that he's kind of a, a mirror reflection of Donald Trump in that he appeals to people who feel dis- dis- disaffected and less behind. He does have a touch of populism about him. Uh, would that make him, and, and I think in some polls, there are some polls that show that he would defeat Trump if the election were today. Yeah, I'm, I'm always a little suspect about polls the, about, you know, what would happen if kinds of things this far in front of the election um, as to whether he is the polar opposite. I, I think his certainly his supporters are similar in some ways than Trump. I think it is important to note, though, that as much as Bernie may cast himself as the revolution candidate, he is a sitting United States senator. So he is both arguing that he is anti-establishment as he is very clearly part of the establishment. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's a politician. <laughs> I may add to this. Go ahead. Thanks to Hitler's National Socialist Workers Party and the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, we just don't like the word socialist in the United States. And that would be an albatross around Sanders' neck in the general election. So why did he use it? I don't, it's just how, you know, he's not even a member of the Democratic Party. He's elected as an independent, and he chooses to caucus. But he says he's a Democratic Socialist. And if you notice, going back to Donald Trump's State of the Union address last year, he's been banging on socialism. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's exactly right. And and, and and I also agree that, that that is one of the things that gives him this fairly low ceiling. There's not a lot of folks walking around the United States of America arguing that we should be a socialist country. You, you don't hear that. It's not a very popular position. And so I think the more he is perceived as not a populist, but a socialist, the worse it is clearly for Bernie Sanders going forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, he would be a socialist even by Canadian standards. Oh, heavens no. <clears throat> by global standards, the United States is a center-right country. I mean, virtually everything is to the left of the Democratic Party outside the United States. Yeah. Um, so uh, is this uh, is, is is this sewn up for Biden? What has to happen next? And I, I gather that Elizabeth Warren is reconsidering. Yeah, she's reconsidering. And I don't mean to hog the time. I'll turn it over in a minute. But what I find fascinating is the final five of the Democratic candidates are all in their 70s, as is Donald Trump. I mean, we, I, I wish no ill will on anyone, but what if one of them has a health problem between now and the Democratic Convention? They're shaking hundreds of hands every single day in a nation with spreading coronavirus. Uh, yeah, and uh, Bernie Sanders had a heart attack. Exactly right. And re- refused to release his medical records. Uh, yeah, isn't he the healthiest person ever on the planet? <laughs> well, Donald Trump would probably claim that. <laughs> he did. He did. Um, <laughs> the other thing I find interesting is, you know, one of the the one of the things that is said about Bernie Sanders is that he can galvanize younger voters 
and voters, first time voters who consider themselves left behind in the system. But but I heard a number touted around that would be twice as many um, disenfranchised uh, uh, African-American voters and others. Like he'd need 11 percent of these new voters and Barack Obama only got an extra 5 percent. I think that's exactly right. For for Bernie Sanders to be able to pull this off in the numbers that he's talking, he would have to have unprecedented voter turnout. And I don't just mean the number of people who voted, but as you pointed out, the types of people who voted. So even if he is able to inspire folks, and I think there's no doubt that's true, the, the notion that he'd be able to inspire enough folks to radically change the American electorate does stretch credibility. Mm-hmm. And how how is he doing with African-American voters? Because Joe Biden seems to have that group uh, pretty well on side. Yeah, Biden, Biden yesterday in the exit polling just basically had a commanding lead over Sanders among African-Americans. On the other hand, I, th- I find it interesting that Sanders does so well with Latinos. Mm-hmm. That's uh-huh. right. And that was a trend we started to see really in Nevada. And I think that surprised a whole lot of us. Um, but, yeah, I think Biden has it for whatever set of circumstances. Biden has the African-American vote sewn up. And I think you can see that in the southern vote. Right. So um, Biden has swept every southern state that has voted. That's the part of the country that tends to have the largest African-American population. So it's not surprising. He is, if he rides to victory, he's going to ride on the tails of the south. And is, is there a reason that uh, Sanders is not resonating with African-Americans? You know, I think he is not, but I think the flip of that coin, of course, is that Biden is. Um, And so now that we're really down to a two-person field, um, Sanders didn't really resonate with African-Americans last time, um, but Biden is able to ride on the back also of being Barack Obama's um, uh, vice president. And so he is the traditional candidate for African-Americans. He also got a key endorsement for a guy named Jim Clyburn in South Carolina, this African American member of Congress who is seen as is kind of one of the modern spokespeople for um, kind of African American politics in this country. So I think a lot of us are kind of looking to that as being a key moment in this race. Okay. If I can add to that, you know, Joe Biden is a really nice guy that really likes people. And when I think of Biden and Bernie Sanders, I think of the holiday dinner, you know, where Sanders is that angry uncle that no one wants to sit next to. And Biden's that lovable uncle, sure, maybe tells you the same story over and over, but you'll love him anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Now that the race, I mean, there was a lot of excitement when the field was so crowded because, you know, for a while... Pete Buttigieg was in the lead, and, and you didn't know who would be the moderate candidate, who you, who would be the progressive candidate. But now that it's it's down to these two gray-haired guys, not we here we we uh, serve an older demographic, so we kind of like that. But uh, <laughs> is, is that going to diminish interest and harm the Democrats' chances about taking on Trump? I I don't think so. Listen, the the Democrats just want to be Donald Trump, and they are going to unite behind whatever candidate does it. Now, once the nominee is certain, the Republican and conservative establishments are going to spend billions trying to make that Democrat more unpopular than Donald Trump. The good news is 
Bloomberg's announcement actually is keeping his entire staff on salary through the end of the year, and he'll pump billions into defending the Democratic nominee. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. interesting. So he he doesn't seem too um, miffed about spending more than half a billion dollars and doing pretty poorly. No, I think what he's decided is his billions are best spent supporting the eventual nominee and beating Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And and how do you think, uh, I mean, is, is Donald Trump scared about Biden? I don't think Donald Trump's scared about anybody, actually. Uh, Donald Trump is a master of controlling every part of the news cycle and sucking the oxygen. He'll find his uh, vulnerabilities with Biden, just like, you know, if it's Sanders, he'll just brand him as some radical socialist. Uh, what about uh, that whole thing with his son and the board in the Ukraine? Is is any of that still sticking? We'll have to see. I, I, I have a feeling the Republicans will try to have Biden's son on the ticket before this is all over. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that's exactly right. I think it's a it's a it's a kind of messy issue that people know is sort of surrounding Biden, but I think most voters don't really know the specifics of it. But definitely, Donald Trump will make it his business, and his handlers will make it their business to make sure that that is what we associate with Joe Biden. Okay, uh, so what can we expect going forward, Dr. Cooper? Yeah, I think we can expect an extraordinary sum of money, of course. I think we can expect kind of nastier campaigns uh, going forward. Um, I think um, we're going to expect, I still think, fairly high voter turnout. I think your point about them being older candidates is true at the same time. Sanders does tend to do fairly well amongst young people, and the Republicans don't exactly have a spring chicken on their side of the ticket either. Okay. Dr. Nordlinger? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, This is going to be a question of turning out the base. The Republicans have already spent hundreds of millions of dollars in their key state infrastructure. And their message is going to be, hey, you don't have to like uh, Donald Trump as a human being to like what he's getting done. And and let me say, I think I think I think red states and Republicans trust Donald Trump more now than they did four years ago. Because they really didn't know what kind of, you know, if Donald Trump was even a conservative. Uh, I think that's exactly right. I think, I mean, it's going to come down, obviously, to the turnout, as you pointed out, and then these swing states. I mean, there's really only about 10 states in this country that could conceivably go for both parties. And that's clearly where all of the attention is going to be. You know, no Democrat has won the presidency without Pennsylvania since 1948. No Republican has ever won the White House without Ohio. So, you know, we can already figure out how 40 or 42 of these states are voting. Mm-hmm. Final question, is Donald Trump vulnerable? I mean, uh, the stock market has started to come back after last week, but but if things go south and if the coronavirus thing gets worse, is he vulnerable because of that? Well, I would say I that... Think, go ahead. Yeah, well, go ahead, please. But, uh, I mean, I think, yes, he is vulnerable, but this is a 50-50 country. I think this is an incredibly polarized country like we have not been since the Civil War. So I think every candidate at the national level is vulnerable, and every candidate at the national level is potentially competitive. Partisanship is what's driving the day in American politics right now, and it looks like it will continue going forward. So certainly Trump is vulnerable, but I also would not bet against him at the same time. I'd probably just avoid the bet altogether. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think I think assuming the economy doesn't tank or the coronavirus becomes 
his equivalent of, you know, Hurricane Katrina, which started the St. George W. Bush, I personally think Donald Trump wins. He at least wins the electoral vote, even if not the popular vote. Because we don't have a national election, there will be millions of anti-Trump votes wasted in states like New York and California. Okay. Thank you both, Dr. Chris Cooper and Dr. Gary Nordlinger. We appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. A pleasure. Thanks. Okay. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.